0: Welcome to the Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast. I'm Jamie Bogner. This is episode 219. It is our last episode of 2021. We're going to bring this year to a close. We will be back next year with more podcasts. Uh, But today, joining us for this ultimate podcast of uh, this past year is David Walker, co-founder of Firestone Walker Brewing Company. Welcome to the podcast, David.
1: Fantastic. Last but not least, I
0: love it. Ultimate, the ultimate, the (laughs) grand finale of 2021.
1: Hollywood. (laughs) What a great word, ultimate.
0: <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah. Firestone Walker is a media partner of Craft Beer and Brewing. We thank Firestone Walker for their support in bringing great stories and conversations to you. Over the years, I've had so many great conversations with David. You may not realize it, but so many of the ideas that we then start to develop into stories and whatnot, um, whether it's our Brewing Industry Guide or Craft Beer and Brewing, get kicked off by these odd conversations and uh, you know here and there. And so even in our very first issue of the Brewing Industry Guide, talking about those stages of growth, a um, story idea that we could have probably attribute to that co- conversation way back in Paso, back in the day, David. Um, I can't wait to talk about uh, Firestone Walker's culture of excellence, building this kind of uh, high-performance brewery, being able to grow quickly, being able to fail fast and move and uh, explore different realms of brewing, um, push and be successful in so many different Different styles and in so many different kinds of markets. On top of that, the breadth. Of Firestone Walker as a business in the brewing world is really phenomenal. We're going to dive into all of those topics, but first, for nearly 30 years, GD Chillers has set the mark for quality equipment you can rely on. GD stands above the rest as the only chiller manufacturer that engineers your glycol piping for free. GD stands alone as the only chiller manufacturer with an in house team of installers and engineers with 30 years of real world field labor experience in breweries, wineries, and distilleries. Contact the total glycol system design experts today at gdchillers.com. Also, this episode is sponsored by BSG Craft Brewing. Explore a whole universe of hop sensory with unique varieties like Kashmir, Comet, Triumph, Eldorado, and more. Sourced directly from growers and processed at BSG's FSSC certified facility in Yakima to bring you only the very best hops from farmer to fermenter. For contracting spot sales and more info, reach out to them at Let's Talk Hops at bsgcraft.com. So David, this is the twenty fifth anniversary of Firestone Walker. That is a long and storied history for you all um, Things are a little different now than they were twenty five years ago as you had that crazy idea to start a brewery
1: uh yes, just a little bit um <laughs> I mean <laughs> I think uh I think the brewery has exceeded our dreams, hopes and dreams and um uh, and we remain deeply grateful and somewhat humble humbled by the whole experience. What was the
0: original vision? What did you think you might be able to achieve as you were, were kicking around the idea of putting this business together?
1: You know, it was sort of interesting. Um, when Adam and I started the brewery, um, he was running uh, a third generation family winery. I was growing grapes and I was in the tech business. And so we both had sort of robust day jobs, You know, not to mention mortgages and suburban full of kids and so forth, so we sort of had responsibilities. And so, literally, we we started it as a side project. I mean, I mean, there was definitely intention there. I mean, he'd sat through the bleachers of the modern American wine revolution. I understood a little bit about disruption. So, you know, it wasn't a complete wild hair. We knew that if we started a brewery, it would have some relevance. But, uh, you know, our hope was we could get it to about 10,000 barrels. Um, you know, and, and for several years, we'd never really... Sold it outside of a couple of counties in the central coast of California, um, which was sort of a reflection on our vision for it at the time, the amount of time that we could commit to it, both sort of financially and personally, and um, so it, it really, truly was um, a a small organic sort of artisanal project. I mean, we both we both preferred beer um, for a couple of blokes in the wine wine business. Um, uh, sort of mildly counterproductive. So, I mean, that drove, um, kept things alive. But um, yeah, I mean, so uh, yeah, 10,000 barrels, think about that.
0: What What was the moment where you realized it was going to be more than that? Where if you refocused your time, that you all as entrepreneurial business people in a beverage space could turn this into way more than you thought it was going to originally be possible?
1: You know, I have, th- there was never any sort of aha moment. Um, you know, I look back through the whole experience and it's really been, it's been a sort of a million strokes, you know, it's been a, it's been sedimentary layers of, of progress, um, you know, one, and you just sort of stand on the next one and then on the next one. Um, God, I mean, there was, there's so many moments, so many moments. I remember, you know, when we gave birth to DBA, you know, this was a, our very first beer, um, English pale ale, uh, you know, Burtonized. It was, you know, every prime. it still does primary fermentation in in sort of oak barrels, our attempt at trying to sort of replicate Burton unions, um, you know, floor malts, you know, Maris Otter, English East Kent Goldings. I mean, London ale yeast. I mean, everything. It would, It sort of embodied all the hopes and dreams of everything that we wanted to do. Um, and it worked. I mean, people loved it. Um, and that, you know, w- when we saw that vision come together in the early days, it was a little bit like this is fully formed. This is real. This is this is really wonderful. This wasn't some wild notion. Um, so, but, you know, in terms of, you know, the scale of the brewery, um, you know, we, Adam and I always used to joke about getting wind in our sails. <laughs> I mean, we're both a couple of sailors, but um, yeah, one day we'll get wind in our sails and look out, um, we'll need another, you know, bottling line or whatever. So wind, you know, wind in the sails of most craft breweries hit sort of, you know, it, it was strange. It hit in that moment in the sort of mid early 2000s, 2005, 2006, 2007, you know, there were a hundred reasons social media tweets, the first tweets started to f- fly. Um, we as a brewing community sort of hit a critical mass in terms of the amount of brewers, the noise we made, the allegiances we formed with our associations and with our guilds. Um, and, you know, just the noise became legitimate. People sort of said, you know, hang on a second, these, these aren't just eccentric folks. And then I suppose, you know, on a really geeky technical standard, um, you know, ABI got acquired in 2007, and you know I always felt that we 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 sort of were brewers in America at their dispensation up until that point, and um, you know they they had the majority of the market. They sort of set the tone for the whole market, for the wholesale, for retail, and um, essentially when you know when that when they changed hands and they sort of you know obviously lost a lot of market share, they remained obviously incredibly profitable. A lot of the stress went out of the market, and I truly believe that opened up to opportunities with wholesalers, with routes to market wholesalers became more interested. Now they didn't need to be sort of closet craft lovers. Um, and that's all we needed. It was just a little bit of oxygen. And um, that moment, obviously, I mean, you can track it. Things really did start to um, to explode. The long tail of, of smaller brewers began to really find a, a model that worked. Um, and uh, Consumers began to recognize them as, as, as really great, legitimate breweries to be fans of. and Yeah, so I, I suppose that moment.
0: That's an interesting time period, too, because that 2007 and 2008 going into that big crash and then the ensuing recession threw a lot of things into flux, you know, all of a sudden. I, they, I, I think you can also look back at that as one of the kind of formative elements of the giant craft beer broom, boom mm-hmm. of the 20 teens that – people rethinking, you know, people out of work rethinking what they were doing, you know, decided to pursue passions and that has led to growth in breweries like nobody's business. Um, but kind of, you know, fascinating that, uh, you know, that all of those things aligned right around that same time to kind of create an environment that would also help continue to, to foster craft beer. Through this, you know, and you've mentioned this to me before, Every moment of growth for you all involved that involves investment or major capital outlays or taking on significant debt to try to fund the next generation of growth produces a, a certain amount of risk that all along that way, even though it's exciting, even though there's wind in your sails and you are following this momentum upwards, making each one of those steps is also you know, like taking a step blindly off the precipice and hoping, you know, that there's something that you're going to be able to land on something when you do. Um, Talk to me about some of those risky moments where uh, you all made those, you took on those risks, not necessarily knowing if they were going to entirely deliver on what you thought they would.
1: Well, the, the great thing about a brewery, especially a closely held brewery, um that adam and i had is that you you sort of don't view it as a, as a as a business you sort of view it as a um sort of a member of the family so it's a little bit like you know you'll sit at home and justify a huge amount of money for a new bathroom and like there's absolutely no way you're ever going to get the money back but it's like you know we're going to live here it's what we love and so on and it, in some ways it's a similar dynamic i mean every penny we put into the brewery was a penny of love it wasn't What's the, you know, what's the business case on this? I mean, without question, the bigger you get, you ultimately have to do that sort of grown up analysis. But um, no, I mean, you know, breweries are very much a labor of love. They, 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 uh, they draw you in, they, uh, bewitch you, um, and, um, you know, so you, you're constantly thinking about expanding, tweaking, upgrading, changing, adding some whimsy, adding some technology, adding some efficiency and um, so you know I'd like to say that you know we w- if we did anything right in terms of expanding our brewery we we waited to the last minute before we added the expansion so w- literally you know we were you know, we were at the seams before relief arrived, before the cavalry arrived. And there were four or five key expansion moments for us when that happened. And I always felt relieved at that. I mean, I, I you know, I, I would have been incredibly nervous staring at a brewery that we'd overbuilt, praying for momentum and wind in our sails. Um, and uh, lucky for us, we were always sort of gasping for capacity. And it came online and bang, all of a sudden we said, well, how do we live without that capacity? Um, and that's a wonderful thing. When I always like to say this, there's nothing more exhilarating than a brewery at full capacity, and there's nothing more depressing than a brewery that's way below capacity. Um, it's like a forest without birds, you know. It's, it's – uh... anyway. <laughs> yeah, <sure. laughs> um,
0: the scale of those uh... – expansions has, yeah, of course, significantly grown each time that you've done it. The the last one was uh, even more significant. And it seems when I was just out there over the last few months that it continues to be happening, whereas it's less and less of a, we're going to make a giant expansion. And now it's, we're just always expanding in some way or another, you know, how has that become a part of the general process for the brewery?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of that has, um, uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's just that sort of um, recognition that the you know you constantly need to be um, maintaining, replacing, or expanding parts at the brewery. So there's a you know there's a constant draw on on um, capital investment. Um, it's capital intensive business, after all. Um, you know, obviously we're, we we continue to grow, and we have never not grown. Um, So, you know, there's always a need for additional capacity. Um, You know, I hope and pray there's there's not a day when we, you know, we head in the other direction. Um, But, but, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a very, it's a very simple equation. Um, There's no, you know, there's no, um, no mystery to it. I mean, I mean, you make decisions every day about what you need and what you don't need and what you can afford and what you can afford to take a risk on and it's it's no different
0: you're also investing in things like sustainability that are not necessarily hitting a, you know a pure bottom line growth um you know part of that kind of PL. you're not seeing a direct return on it it's a much more long-term return let's talk about that but before we do the world of craft beer is a different place now Margins are more important than ever, so why not lower your ingredient cost? Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. Old Orchard produces high volumes of their retail juice brand, so economies of scale keep prices low for the bulk supply program. A little concentrate goes a long way, and you won't lose some of it through filtering like you would with purees. To start increasing your margins now, head on over to www.oldorchard.com slash brewer. Also, what if you could take your favorite recipe and make a non-alcoholic version without sacrificing the flavor, color, or beer quality? N.A., no problem. The Alchemator from ProBrew uses proprietary membrane technology to strip the alcohol from the beer without sacrificing all the elements like flavor and color that make the beer great are you ready to brew like a pro the alchemator from pro brew na no problem email contact at probrew.com for more info David, talk to me about the investments that you all have been making, significant investments in sustainability, where you are in California, you know certainly water, waste management, all of these things are important concerns, um, even though environmental stewardship doesn't necessarily show up on you know that P and l, you all are are putting some serious resources behind that
1: Yeah, we are. I mean I, it, obviously a lot of it's out of choice, but um you know, I, I sort of harp on about this a lot. I mean, you know, great brewers um, conserve all inputs: water, power, raw materials. Um, you know, they have to. I mean, brewing beer is as old as you know, Methuselah, and is has, is essentially that. You know, there's no, you know, there's no patents here. There's no secret sauce. You just make great, beautiful beer, and so there's a lot of competition and um, it needs to be competitive, it needs to be affordable um, for the common drinker. And so, you know, you have to, you, you, you can't be wasteful making beer. And essentially, waste is at the heart of combating sustainability. If you combat waste, then you're on your way to essentially working towards a sustainable outcome. So, you know, everything from building buildings that don't suck electricity, you know, simple things like LED versus standard fluorescent lighting. Things like reusing um, parts that you sort of pull down from um, you know old projects. Um, you know, obviously it's a no brainer. In our case, we, we have a ten acre solar array that drives you know depending on the price of energy, four to five hundred thousand dollars a year in savings on energy. Um, water is obviously a huge thing in California. You know, our ability to reduce the amount of water we use to create a pint of beer um, is really just a massive KPI that we watch at all points. Um, so, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Sustainability is, is um, to a brewer, it should be reflexive. Um, in a modern age now, it's actually more than reflexive. It's actually sort of aspirational desire in terms of, well, hang on a second, um, you know raw materials energy all of these things are impacting carbon footprint um, climate change et etc et etc so there's actually a nice um, sort of nexus where they you know, they sort of actually are drawn together um, and uh, yeah no it's it's um it's it's a very very important part of what we do but it always has been
0: looking at that though you know, from a business perspective how do you balance what you and in- Invest in that because it would be pretty easy to spend everything you made <laughs> on achieving greater efficiency and you know, creating, uh, you know, pushing this kind of sustainable element. Um, you know, do you have a rule of thumb about how much you are willing, you know, you could reasonably spend in that regard or invest in that for the business? I mean, how you know how how is your thinking about that? Do you make some of those decisions?
1: Yeah, I mean, you have to do. A business case. Um, I mean, you know, robust carbon capture in a brewery um, doesn't start penciling out till you're sort of four five hundred thousand barrels. Um, if you were to do that at a hundred thousand barrels, it would be a huge investment. Um, right. So, um, you know, things like that um, just, uh, you know, they, you, you just sort of hit them at a certain point. Um, you know, we sell 80 um, percent of our beer in California, which is great. We do sell our beer in other states. We sell our beer on the east coast, um, and it, it's 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 a wonderful thing you can get it there. Now you, we could as a brewery say, well, you know, the carbon footprint on our beer in the east coast is not as good as it is on the west, so let's just sell beer on the west. And um, yeah, I mean, technically, you could make that argument. We choose not to to do that. Um, but I I lie in bed at night feeling that the fact that we do sell eighty percent of our beer on the west, that is a um, I mean, it's, I suppose it's not intentional, but it's a nice byproduct of um, of great – it's actually a nice by, byproduct of, of the sort of craft beer proposition to the consumer. It's like I'm drinking a beer that's made locally. Carbon footprint on that beer is much better than, you know, one coming from Holland. Um, and um, I think, you know, these are sort of things that I use to sort of make a decision about what I'm drinking.
0: Speaking of selling beer in California, uh, let's kind of talk about some of the dynamic change that has happened for Firestone Walker over the last five to eight years. Um, As you all you know, moved down this brewery path, you were very focused on, you know, the the kinds of beers that craft brewers made in the 2000s and early 20-teens. It was very much, uh, let's make IPAs, let's make our English style, our, our DBA. You know, you, you got into some fun, you know, fringer beers, like barrel-aged beers. You launched Barrel Works to make sour beer, um, kind of taking a winemaker's approach to, to making beer itself, you know. But one of the big moves that you made was launching a mass or I shouldn't call it a mass, a larger consumer brand that was built around a lifestyle idea in eight Oh five, a, a simple blonde ale. Uh, I shouldn't say simple because there's, you know, it's incredibly hard to make an, a, a beautifully simple beer like that um, marketed in a very different way to a different type of consumer than, you know, Firestone Walker was really comfortable with. Talk to me a little bit about the Genesis of that idea and how, that brand has developed and and how you all have been able to build that into such a powerhouse, especially in your home state of California?
1: Well, first of all, I'd argue that we never set out to create a brand like the 805. And I actually think I, I
0: know that because you've yeah. told me that before, yeah. that it was very much a <laughs> yeah, yeah. that I,
1: sedimentary layer of yeah, right, exactly. I always think, you know, in terms of the beer gods bestowing a brand like that on any of the brewer, it's sort of like a, a joke um, because we were so wrapped around the axle of sort of hop forward um, uh, American craft beer flavors pushing innovation. Being true to those 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 revolutionary styles, and you know, eight hundred five represents um, you know a, a, a different you know a different metric, and um, you know I, th- I think it, it was truly a legitimate, authentic evolution. I mean, we made a beer. Um, you know what happened? I mean, just to give you <laughs> some background, um, uh you know, Anheuser Busch in the early two thousands went through the country, trademarking area codes. For some reason, they didn't think. Ours was relevant. Um, we we sort of trademarked it back, and then we had a beer that we were selling a sort of a shift beer to the brewers, and we would take it to events, and it would always outsell everything else we did. Um, and we you know we let some of our local pubs have it as a private label beer, and um, realized that hang on a second, this thing is is a crowd pleaser. So we we blended the two, and it sort of took flight, and literally county by county, we sort of let it expand and um, it, you know, it, it became what it became. I mean, I, I suppose it taught us a little bit about a little bit of the, um, you know, the branding side of beer that we somewhat sort of eschewed, you know, it's like, uh, it's all, sure. um, and, um, you know, we didn't because it was a sort of a lucky shot. I mean, we, we just you know, it was a very simple branding and it was working. We didn't touch it. We just did not touch it. And it it sort of formed itself and um, we responded to the consumer. It was a very much, a, it was became a sort of a, like a, a moniker of a lifestyle. Um, in our region, most, most folks are either wannabe cowboys or wannabe surfers. And so it was a very simple na- narrative. And um, the thing took off. And, um, you know, we've just done our best to, to um, keep it healthy and pointing in the right direction. Um, and we never set, I, I, I promise you, we never set out to do that, to create it. I mean, it just happened. We're very proud of it. Matt Brindleson, um, you know, I'm biased, arguably one of the finest brewers in the world, will tell you that 805 is his finest achievement <laughs> because he actually got to stick it to, um, uh, to that, you know, to to brewers that were actually playing in that space and would sort of look down their nose at what we were doing. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, I can I can do what you can do too, and, and actually a little better. So um, anyway, you know, who knows? We've been very blessed. Um, I, I mean, if, if I, I don't credit us with much in terms of that, other than the fact that when it when it was given to us, we didn't fuck it up. Um, and, <laughs> and, and in fact, in some ways, that's one of the hardest things to
0: do. Um, so... Sure, sure. I remember the, the moment that it clicked for me was uh, when we were driving the Craft Beer and Brewing RV south from Paso. I, you know, it was probably 2015 when we when we had that. And I just remember passing a truck next to us, totally murdered out, just, you know, black head to toe, the darkest windows you've ever seen. The only white thing you could read on the truck was was a little 805 sticker on the back window. <laughs> everything else like, you know, taillights, everything completely murdered out. Yeah. You uh, know, and that's this moment where you realize that, you know, beer is something, you know, people for them the brands and their connection to these consumer products reflect right. some of their their identity as who they are, and you all found a way to tap into that with something that felt really connective. But it is when you say you didn't fuck it up you're absolutely right, right. You, all of the marketing all of the branding building a separate brand structure for 805 so that it didn't necessarily you know wasn't parroting the you know the Firestone Walker brand itself like people could love 805 and not even know that right. Firestone Walker made that beer yeah. and that I was okay
1: and and, you know. and I think ultimately and and maybe you know this is one of the the key pillars to craft american craft brewing is is people love beer. I mean, they really love it. It's a social lubricant. It's part of their fabric of their life. It puts a smile on their face. It's a moment of where they can sit down with their friends um, or or just sort of reflect on their own. I mean, it's a really important thing. And to drink a beer that you've got no emotional connection to, you know, just like a brand of underpants, do you know what I mean? I mean, you just sort of put them on um, is – is, is nuts and so if you can actually have an emotional connection with your beer i mean it's just a just a, a wonderful thing and and um you know i i i believe we've done that um i believe we've done that with 805 absolutely
0: that is the stock and trade of winemakers in yeah. that sense that building that romantic connection to you know place and land and the flavors that are associated with that i mean that's kind of a crucial piece to that element of wine marketing. You all, while taking a different aesthetic approach, were using a lot of the same mechanisms to build the idea of lifestyle, that car club, that motorcycle rider, that surfer, that cowboy, you know, all of those pieces that were aspirational for folks that kind of connected to this idea of of what the 805 means.
1: Absolutely. Um, Yep, it's... It's a, it's a wonderful thing.
0: And now it's, I, there's this question that every brewer faces, because is it success that you're happy with? Um, I When I was talking to a small brewer making spontaneous beer you know, earlier this year, they mentioned we never started making other beers because we were too afraid that they'd become successful. And if they became successful, then that would distract us from what our primary goal was. 805 is definitely a I mean it's a huge amount of of what Firestone Walker makes in any given year. Um you know for you all looking at it how do you feel about that?
1: Well, I mean we can chuckle we say it's a little bit of a cuckoo in the nest. Um and um but you know like I said it you know when we look at it in in real terms I mean it's it we're immensely proud of it. Um I'm absolutely immensely proud of it. Um in terms of how it's driven us as a brewery without question, it's driven, it, it it's defined us, you know, it's defined the fact that we, you know, fingers crossed we'll brew 600,000 barrels of beer next year. And we, we have hopes and dreams to be a million barrel brewery by the end of the decade. Um, and um, we, you know, you know, it's definitely part of that plan. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's it it, it has ultimately defined us, um, but that's not to mean that it, it'll continue to define us. I mean, it um, it didn't define us for the first um, sort of fifteen years of our life, um, so um, you know, nothing's nothing's really forever. I mean, there is this sort of insatiable. I mean, once you become a brewery, um, you you sort of you've, you're getting you're you're standing on an accelerating like an accelerating, accelerating escalator. I mean, that, that has no end. Um, and it, it is a, I mean, you, you, it, it's not something that you can sit out and sort of have an out of body experience and watch yourself in. I mean, it's all, all on full on all the time. You're fully engaged and you're always looking for the next, you know, you're looking for the next batch of beer. You're looking for the next beer. You're looking for the next customer. You're looking for the next market. And, um, you know, I wish I could be a little bit more sort of um, sort of philosophical and grown up about it to say like, you know, I just think we'd like to be this size and not bigger. And I just don't think you can do that um, as a brewery. I, I just, I mean, I think you have to keep evolving. I mean, it's a better word than growing because growing has got some sort of, you know, you could call it capitalist notion of greed and so on and so forth. Um, Uh, Without question, you're growing um, in those terms, but evolving and and just constantly doing new things. And um, so, yeah, I mean, eight to five at the moment is 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 a a big part of our life. Will it be in ten years? Um, I hope so. But if not, there'll be something else.
0: At the same time, you know, on the craft side, you all continue to experience the same kind of thing. You create new things, and. and in the craft beer world, the lifetime, like the lifespan of brands, we've watched it get smaller and smaller. That uh you know, you you hope you create beers that can stand the test of time, but realistically you create something and if you get a few years out of it, you're pretty happy with it before consumers want that new thing. You all have been engaging in that whether it's the luponic distortion uh, you know category or whether it's now the mind haze brand coming up with new ideas, pushing new things out there, some of them work, some of them haven't worked. You know, there have been some forays into, you know, fruity beers that, uh, you know, I'm trying to play in a seltzer space that maybe didn't find the the market that they wanted to. But at the same time, you have beers like Mind Haze that have grown and become kind of powerhouse families, whether, you know, you know, and there's, that's a hard thing for you all as a business to try to know which ones are going to be those things, because you don't when you get those started, you just put those things out, do your best work to create the best possible thing you can, and then see how it goes?
1: Yeah, I mean, American craft brewers are sort of responsible for this um, uh, insane sort of acceleration of innovation and flavor and so forth. And, um, uh, you know, the more fashionable you're, you are, the quicker you go out of fashion. And it's a little bit of that dynamic. Um, you know, American craft breers, brewers brought flavor and innovation and disruption to a monolithic um, beer industry worldwide. And they changed the world of beer and they changed the consumer. And so the consumers that we're talking to most of the time, um, and it's a little like, be careful what you wish for them. They're engaged in this, in this, sort of constant experimentation and in the case of my days i mean first of all in the case of ipa i mean ipa really manifest american craft beer brewers i mean you know it's it's craft beer i mean it it, it was obviously ipa was obviously um a style within a hundred styles but it was the style with the broadest shoulders with the most ability to showcase the hopes and dreams of craft brewers, and so that's why it became the platform it has become. And hazy IPAs to me are just a natural evolution. I mean, it's the um, you know I have I have three daughters in their um, mid mid twenties, and the um, you know they they really started drinking beer when they were hazy. You know, I mean they, they I mean those were the beers that they were drinking. I mean, I I was weaned on English pale ales. I mean, I love them. Um, but you know, they find those beers sort of, um, antique, um, they're looking for tropical flavors. They like the full bodied, um, uh, qualities of, 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 hazy beers. Um, and, uh, and the sort of the whimsical narrative of hazy beers. Um, so it's, you know, there's a, there's a hundred things that are wrapped up in that choice for them, but it's, you know, it's their moment, it's their beer, um, that might change again. You know that that might change again. Who knows? Um, and you could argue it's one of the reasons why there's a whole group of people charging off and drinking sort of fruit-forward waters and seltzes and um, RTDs and tiki drinks and um, you know putting banana flavouring in bourbon. I mean, you know, it's this. It's 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 all part of this sort of um, trend in that in that area. So yeah,
0: and. But even though it is, you know, I think there's a couple of pieces there, you know, number one, you know, from generation to generation, you know, Americans in particular have either flirted with, I drink what my parents drink, or I don't drink anything that my parents drink, you know, depending on that kind of, you know, where you are and, you know, what kind of, you know, rebellion defines that particular generation, Um you know, as of late, every generation and every, you know, five to 10 years is looking to find some way to define itself as separate and apart from their parents. And I think that that speaks to exactly what you were saying, that uh, this is their thing. Not to say that they're the only only 20-somethings are, are drinking these hazy beers, certainly that they're compelling across, you know, the spectrum. Um, you know, and oftentimes people that start there don't end up there, that, uh, you know, there's also that Beauty as people rediscover some of those classic things, and for every banana flavored bourbon out there, the unadulterated, beautiful historical constructions you know that are aged for many many years are are you know certainly commanding uh, prime prices. Yeah. In no, the consumer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. No. I, I. I. I mean, there's without question. I think the uh, the current sort of um, peak sort of social generation you know, 25-year-olds, whatever, um, you know, I, I, they're actually, I, I think, a lot cooler than I ever was. I mean, <laughs> they, I mean they, they do actually look back and say, you know, Dad, that's your beer. I mean, that's part of the problem with being 25-year-old brewery is that truly I'm serving beer to the children of the people I serve beer to um, when we started. So, um, so yeah, no, they're willing to say, you know, it's sort of cool that you, you know, um, but, you, you know, when you look at larger trends, you um, you know, I, I think these the sort of trends that hazy IPAs are playing into are um, are much broader trends in that market. And um, I mean, I, I think uh, I think the alcoholic beverage space is in is, is insane at the moment. Um, for, sure. Because for sure, for sure, for, for a lot of those reasons. So.
0: Well, I want to talk about how you all, as a twenty five year old company continue to stay on top of those kinds of creative developments. Before we do that, this episode is brought to you by Mountain Rose Herbs, purveyors of the highest quality organic herbs, spices, and teas, whether you want to add depth to your next golden triple with classic notes of cinnamon, pepper, and clove or artfully layer exotic zesty grains of paradise into a perfect ale. Adding botanicals to your brewing is an easy way to customize a delicious flavor profile. Mountain Rose Herbs has been providing organic herbs and spices to chefs, herbalists, and dedicated brewers for more than three decades. Learn more at mountainroseherbs.com and get 10% off any and all orders with the code CRAFTBEER10. Also, as a brewery owner, you know how important it is to keep your machines running so you don't have to deal with the hassle caused by contamination, recalls, and downtime. Clarion makes food-grade lubricants to protect your equipment from the wear and tear that results in breakdowns that cut into your bottom line. Clarion gives you peace of mind so you can focus on what you do best, pouring out great-tasting beverages. Learn more at www.clarionlubricants.com. So, David, talk to me about this. You all have been in the business for a long time, but staying current, its I mean, it's like aging, like arena rockers. You know, you—you you hit a certain point. You've found that success. You can look at it, but people don't necessarily look at you as driving the aesthetic and creative conversation at that point. Um, in beer, you've got to stay current. You've got to keep it fresh in order to – you know find that connection to today's audiences. How do you all make sure that that element of creativity and that spark of the new is constantly imbued in your creative process?
1: Well, I mean, first of all, um, you know, um, the, you know, the, the visionary for our beers is Matt Brittleson and um, he's probably the most curious guy I've ever met. So it starts with curiosity i mean I, I I think you can be young and curious and you can be old and curious um, but I think if you're not curious, then you know you're not i don't care whether you're young or old you' you're gonna you're gonna miss all these discoveries that you're talking about so from that standpoint um you know i I always reli i lean really heavily on on Matt's sort of um, instincts and, and and what he's seeing um, you know we have actually created some some intentional um systems at the brewery to encourage this um, and you know we we obviously built a small brewery in in los angeles in venice and um, we put a really beautiful little um uh casper schultz 10 hectoliter system in there and um uh you know we we crank through experimental brewing down there um and uh you know we're working on hot profiles we're working on Yeast profiles are working on all sorts of different beers. And um, I mean, and, and so, you know, having that sort of active process um, is, a pl- is definitely a platform that encourages us to sort of try and discover new things. Um, we, uh, you know, we recently actually, in the last um, two and a half years, we, we, we hired a new CMO, Chief Marketing Officer, um, and um, we hired him out of the music business. I mean, you know, we spent, all of us spent about 18 painful months weaning him off Corona and trying to, trying to sort of get him sort of magically into craft beer. And it's happened The lights gone off and it's fantastic. But the great thing is, you know, he's, he's brought all these different insights to, you know, how you talk about beer. Um, And, you know, that gives us a whole nother sort of um, perspective. And so, yeah, I mean, I think there's intentional things you can do like that. Um, But in some ways you have to really lean on the, the DNA of the brewery, and um, Matt's a huge part
0: of that DNA. So you just have to hire Matt Brindleton Then that's that's the secret.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's it. Pretty... <laughs> take take that advice. Over. <laughs> <laughs>
0: it, it is a you know tough. Watching Matt work has been fantastic because the way that he connects with new hot young brewers and is able to both give and to learn and to taste and understand and, and be a part of these things as they happen. It it is it's cool to see it. Yeah. And and not everyone is capable of doing that. No,
1: and, and listen, I, I loved Matt to death and but there's there's a lot of great brewers who are doing that. And um I think that's, you know, one again, once again, one of the things that everybody says about our industry is that, you know, there truly is a sort of a brotherhood, collaborative, esprit de corps, and especially amongst, um, you know, the, the, inspired, the inspired brewing community. Um, but, and and there's, there's really more than you think, actually. And uh, they're, all, they're all really nicely connected. And, um, and that, actually, you could argue is the DNA of American craft beer. I mean, things move really quickly in our community. And, um, you know, a function of that is, you know, probably everybody's talking about it, you know. Um, lager yeasts, you know, with IPAs, um, uh, you know, there's there's a lot of good technical discussion around that. And, um, th- you know, that's sort of born out of quality and shelf life and other things. And all of a sudden, you know, you've got, you know, we have... IPL emerging, so um, it, it's not just one person. I would suggest it's it's a reflection on on uh, on American craft beer.
0: But Firestone Walker staying in that creative conversation, you know, that there is always a temptation as the business grows that large to look at scale and the things that you can sell the most of at the least possible cost to the, the largest amount of people. Um, rather than doing that, Firestone Walker, despite the scale of the business, has stayed. Very involved um, in that world of craft and on that small scale world of craft, whether it's things like the Firestone Walker Invitational Festival, which it, you know intentionally involves small breweries, or whether it's something like the Brewmasters Collective, uh, you know, membership-based club for special small beer releases, you know, there are some curiously small things that the brewery stays involved in despite the scale. You know, is that part of the intentional strategy to stay connected are these just pieces that you all love them you're not going to give them up or you know is there some other strategy involved in that
1: no i mean they're they're the the spice in the omelet um and um it's that simple i mean just because they're small somewhat insignificant in some ways in the grand scheme of things it doesn't mean they don't provide flavor and um we treasure those things i mean we really do Um, And like I said, they legitimize a lot of other things that we do. So it's, yeah, absolutely. We'll, we'll continue to do, do those things. So
0: you know, but you you know, you say that and that's, that's a great soundbite, but then operating something like barrel works as a facility, making sour beer, like that it's, it's not an expensive proposition to do that in Buellton, especially given where wild and sour beer is right now. I mean, it, You really have to stay committed to that as a business.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely, you do. I mean, that it's extraordinary. That that particular sort of segment in our world um, is it's a riddle. Um, You know, I always remember I used to go I used to go to Belgium, and you know, we drink these beers and we'd rave about them, and um, the people that we were spending time with in Belgium were interested in them, and. You know, it, I just found that curious, and um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact is they're very complex, super complex beers, and there's um, a very small and very complex community who are interested in those beers, and um, I I think um, you know you you have to sort of you, you have to build you have to build a model that sort of lives within those within those limitations, and Bow um, Works has been a an amazing journey for us, um, and probably the benefits to us as a brewery that we've got from Barrel Works are going to be hard for us to really ever account for. Um, they, you know, they provide dimension. Like I said, they provide spice. It, it, what's fascinating actually is as 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 the beer world is is experimenting with fruit at the moment. You know, we have this almost sort of like classical education. On how to integrate fruit with beer, um, because you know um, that's obviously one of the one of the one of the pillars of that whole program so who knows but yeah, you're right, no it's these things are difficult i don't i don't I'm not gonna sugarcoat them. some things are more difficult than others,
0: sure, sure, and of course, you all are as some others are also who have that kind of background capacity and uh, you know knowledge of how to make these things, figuring out new ways to incorporate that kind of traditionally soured beer into products that might hit audiences in different kinds of ways. Maybe they're canned beers, maybe they're more fruit forward beers, um, you know, and pushing that. And, you know, I guess that speaks to that idea that you mentioned, like, we're not, the final chapter isn't written, you know, maybe this is yet another sedimentary layer right? that you you don't know what the next step is going to be, but you're going to keep rolling with it.
1: Yeah, I mean, with that question, that that's that's exactly the way that we look at it. I mean, no journey is wasted; it's we learn from everything. So, yeah, um, yeah I mean, it's it's it, yeah. With some of these beers,
0: and and I think the Brewmasters Collective Beer Club is an example of that. The audience has grown. You know, there's multiple audiences for these kinds of things. You know, as I look at that a club for a brewer scale, it doesn't seem like. It, it, it's interesting how much energy and marketing and push you all are or putting behind it, given how much you could focus on other things throughout this.
1: Yeah, I mean that. I mean the, the, the whole club thing is 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 one hundred percent a byproduct of COVID. Um, you know, when we went into COVID, people weren't traveling. People would call us up about simple releases. You know, we would release Parabola. Um, or any one of the, um, uh, you know, one of our, our, our vintage ales, and uh, people people couldn't get them, um, and because because we make them on such small at such in such small quantities, often our wholesalers can't carry them, um, and I don't blame them for that. I mean, hundred cases of a beer that you know has to, I mean, it's it's, it's hard for them to manage, um, and so. You know, within our legal limits, people called us up, and you know, ship them a t-shirt, we ship them the beer, um, and we formalised that with this club. And um, I mean, it's it's not a giant club on the on the on the you know the scale where it would actually move a needle at all. But what it does do for us is it makes us feel okay. We've got x amount of people who. And actually, they're the same people who've been showing up at our events for twenty years. I mean, I miss them, and um, you know, now they don't have to do that. <laughs> I mean, which is sort of sad, but I mean, hopefully, we'll see them at some point. Um, but yeah, but it's a- you, yeah,
0: you're right. There is that super fan element to it that yeah. you know, for a for a brewery like you or a brand that has you know sold beer to so many people for so many years, you develop that level of fan that really just wants to engage with your brand on a deeper level. And that's an interesting way to do that. Um, you know, there's also this trend, um, you know, COVID you're right, has brought around the idea of shipping beer more broadly and breweries getting involved in direct to consumer sales more than they have been. Obviously there's still a, we still have a three tier system in the United States, you know, but, but COVID has, softened some of the harder edges of that as we try to make it easier to get things to people. Um, There has to be some element of, hey, let's build some aptitude in in how we do that directly with consumers through these other channels. Again, in case, and it may not become something in the future, but maybe it does.
1: Yeah, no, I think think the wine industry is a great model. Um, They have much more universal ability to ship there the are products around now there's a couple of reasons why i mean obviously wine is 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 not as um it's not as fragile as beer um and so it's a lot easier to ship around um and a lot safer from a quality standpoint but that said vintage beers they're just as robust and um you know my sense is yeah open it up um i don't think it impacts the three tier system at all i mean i think I think the, lot, the 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 brewers are engaged in these types of transactions. Um, it's such a small, tiny, 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 tiny fractionable part of the beer business that um, that for for the stakeholders, that the various tiers to get upset about it. I think is is is. is, is you know,
0: there's other things they should be focused on. Um, uh, yeah, and I, I, I'm not meaning to, to trigger any of those folks. What we are seeing now is a you know massively more complex beer world where people are ordering through Drizzly, which is sending an you know potentially which is sending an order to the local store where somebody is you know delivery driver is then taking it to an end consumer there are ways for every tier in the 3 tier system to potentially benefit from understanding how breweries can market and then sell beer in this kind of you know digital realm to customers uh, it's not a place that breweries in particular have been focused on but as we watch it i mean everyone Especially everyone, and even in this craft realm, you know, from Sierra Nevada down to New Belgium and others, is absolutely, and Firestone Walker for that matter, focusing on how do we, how do we gain an aptitude in that? How you know, because creating an idea of a beer that people should then go to a beer store and buy has always been the thing that breweries do, rather than trying to spur on a direct sale where somebody actually then has that thing delivered to them. I mean, it's just a, it's a different way of trying to sell beer to people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, you know, once again, I'm, I, I, I don't think we should get wrapped around the axle about it. I mean, there's, there's, there's really, there's some, there's some principles, there's some, there's some real sort of gravitational pull about the beer business that does not allow it to turn into a direct to consumer yeah, cold cha- yeah. cold chain, um, low margins, quantity. It's heavy. Um, the American beer distribution is the finest distribution system in the world, and they will deliver beautiful fresh beer all the way to the retailer and the retailer will cold store it cold and then people will bring it home. I mean, it's, it's most fabulous system. You're never really going to up. I mean, you're just not, it's just not, I mean, I, I there's no way I'm going to run a direct to consumer system that's ever going to compete with that at any level. Um, drizzly is a convenience play. Um, ultimately it comes out of stores. Um, uh, I mean, you know, you could obviously argue that one day that would, you know, whether it's, um, you know, it's direct to consumer from, from your local supermarket, um, I mean, it all starts to blend. But I, I think everybody, every stakeholder just just does just fine out of this. And what's, sure. import, what's important to the brew, brewing industry is it stays interesting. And if American Craft Beer hadn't showed up 30 years ago, it would be a really boring world for the beer guys. And um, they'd be up against it with the wine guys and the spirits guys who just look a lot sexier and a lot more with it. Um, and you know, there's, there's a, um, you know, we need people, we, we need people praying for a bottle of parabola for Christmas that shows up in their stocking and has been shipped all the way from Paso Robles because that's passion. That's real passion, um, for beer. So I agree with you. And,
0: uh, you know, I have been known to strike a familiar point cord as that when it comes to hard seltzer. For that same reason, I would like craft brewers to have that category and not hand that over to the spirit category or the wine category because I'm incredibly selfish and would like uh, these consumers to build that kind of relationship of creativity with craft brewers. Um, There are certainly craft brewers out there that don't agree with me on that and think we should be more purist. That is what it is. Everyone has a right to their own opinion on that. Um, but I would love for consumers out there to continue to associate that level of creativity in the beverage world with, with craft brewers. Um, on that end, when I was talking to Ken Grossman earlier this year, you know, we, we definitely dove in and talked a little bit about some of uh, the things that, are, uh, in particular, beer that he loved, but that didn't necessarily find a connection with a consumer. Over the last over the last couple of years, have there been any beers that you all have made that you were really excited about, or that you personally really loved, but that for one reason or another, and and it, because you have such a great team, it's it's not the quality of of the liquid in the bottle or the can that's driving that, but just for some reason or another, didn't find that connection with a
1: consumer. Yeah, I think the best beer we make is california pale ale um we don't make one at the moment that's available to consumers um and uh it's sort of elegant um it's uh you know it has you know it's it's, it's, it's it has a sort of a it's floral it's it's not heavily filling it's 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 quashable it's i mean it's it's just everything beautiful about about, about hops in beer and um uh, you know, we have almost forgotten it in our pursuit of the West Coast IPA and now the Hazy IPA and who knows where that will go next. Um so yeah, I really regret the fact that we can't sell um a California Pale Ale. And um it you know, it's I mean we, we had a beer called Pale 31 for a long time and um, you know, it, it I it defined, I mean, Sierra Sierra Pale Ale aside, one of my favourite beers. Um, pale 31 sort of defined the category in many ways um you know it it did extraordinarily well in in that in that style and yeah we don't make it we can't drink it so yeah that that you know obviously you know the the big joke is pivo (laughs) Um, and uh, the amount of times that you know pivo has sort of passed the the sort of annual production review like you know, are we going to just sort of DC Pivo and make it only available in the tap room because people don't want to buy it in the market? And it sort of somehow squeaks by. Um, and uh, it's sort of the cat with nine lives. Um, it's an absolutely sublimely brilliant beer. And, um, but, you know, do consumers want to buy it? No. Do bars want to put it on tap? Um, not normally so um the wholesalers want to sell it no um but uh and and it might have something to do with the fact that 80 percent of the beer made in america is is a a pill's note in inverted commas so
0: don't break my heart david (laughs) don't do it don't do it it's it's not available in retail package up here in the fort collins market and so from time to time uh colby who works for Firestone? So yeah. we'll, we'll, bring some up to me from Denver Good man. Uh, where it's still in package yeah. and, uh, uh, you know, b- bless him. I yeah. look forward to, <laughs> to every, every one of those drop-offs. Uh, yeah, my goodness. I mean, there are, that's, it's one of those things where it, for brewers and for those of us in the world of beer who are, are, are this close to it, like, a world without PIVO is, is just not a world that I want to live in.
1: And, and don't worry. You're going to be living for a long time because P- <laughs> Pivo, has, uh, PIVO has special um, uh, status. So Fantastic. Fantastic.
0: <laughs> well, let's zoom out here as, as we wrap up. Um, let's talk about the near term and the long term future. You mentioned earlier that you've got this goal in the decade to end up uh, you know, closer to a million barrels. Um what are the near term goals, 2022, 2023? You know, the, the last couple of years have been weird ones for everybody, uh, in life and especially in the beer world. Um what what do those near term goals look like? What are you most excited about pursuing? What do you uh, identify as some of the biggest near term challenges that you all are gonna have to face?
1: Whew. Um you know, it's it's it it is a little from a from a hopes and dreams standpoint, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day. You know, you, you sort of show up in January. It's another year ahead of you. And it's a lot of the same block and tackling. It's it's making more friends. It's um, making more beer. It's, um, uh, you, so, so, so there's no, there's no real sort of like, we're going to release the Apple, you know, for 15. <laughs> um, it's, it you know, it's, it's, um, it's, it's more of the same. I mean, we are going to continue to um, keep the main thing the main thing, and, and what I mean by that is focus on where we're winning, um, and 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 really make sure that we're driving as deep as we can in in the places where we, we know we can do that. Because it's not a mistake I believe we've made, but I think it's an easy mistake. I think you can um, you can underestimate. You know truly how deep you can go with um, with your beer in certain markets. I and mean, we've we've been we've been sort of taught that by eight oh five. Um, it it sort of showed us. It's like you know guess what you you really can um, impact more consumers than you think, David. And so you know I think I, I think we we'd like you know we've learned from that and we want to continue to sort of really try and get into the fabric of the of the places where we know we're very we're very successful, and that's that's sort of a self fulfilling pro- prophecy. At that point, you know, there's more beer. It's fresher beer. It, it rotates better. There's more consumers. More people are sharing it. Um, the beer is more affordable because we can. You know, we're selling bigger packages, and um, so it. All of those things, um, I, I, you know, I suppose uh, for our future. But you know, the sky's the limit. Really, I mean, we. We, you know, we, you know, we're in um, 25 or so states, and um, it's, you know, we have good, healthy business in those in those states, and we continue to work work them.
0: You, you know, the conventional logic of owning your backyard is one thing, but then you realize that you can go 10 or. 20 or 30 feet down and also claim all the airspace above it too. And uh, (laughs) all of a sudden that backyard is a lot more volumetric than you, you might've thought that it was.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Is there any one thing in particular that really, really excites you?
1: It's just the potential. You know, I, I look at, you know, I look at the macro, Statistics on a, on American beer, and you see that seventy percent of the beer that's made out there really is is it's all it's all brand, it's all sort of refreshment and good times. It's um, the brewers who brew it. If you ask them to brew another beer, they wouldn't brew that one. Um, and I think that that's a giant sort of iceberg of opportunity for American craft brewers. And I think I think we'll continue to chip away at that, um, and I think our our brewing community will get stronger and more influential. And uh, I think watching that evolve over the next ten years is going to be really interesting. Um, yeah. Well, I think that's
0: a great place to wrap this up. G&D Chillers will engineer your glycol piping for free. Explore a universe of sensory with hops from BSG. Craft juice concentrates from Old Orchard are the cost-effective solution for your fruit-forward needs. NA is no problem with the Alchemator from ProBrew. Get 10% off your next order from Mountain Rose Herbs with code CRAFTBEER10 and make your system 100% food safe with Clarion Lubricants. If you'd like to support this podcast, go to beerandbrewing.com. Click on that subscribe button. We bring you great brewing content from some of the world's most inspiring brewers and our all access subscriptions bundle magazines with exclusive digital content and video classes, including some with the fantastic brewers of Firestone Walker that you cannot find anywhere else. David, normally we would ask people where to find Firestone Walker, but uh, if you can't figure out where to find Firestone Walker in this world, then uh, then God bless you.
1: Uh- <laughs> Amen. I'd agree. <laughs> uh,
0: thanks for joining me on this uh, Ultimate 2021 episode. The pinnacle of our 2021 episodes of the Craft Beer Brewing Podcast. Um, it's always, <laughs> always wonderful to talk to you about brewing and uh, and your insight on uh, where the industry is going and how craft brewers can uh, make better beer that connects better with with customers. Um, looking forward to some great things in 2022.
1: Yeah. Cheers. Amen. Thank you very much for taking an in interest.